to C3 Church Hepburn Heights. We believe Jesus Christ gives life to the full and we are called to live it and share it. We pray you enjoy this message today. Hey, don't you love it when someone goes above and beyond for you? Maybe there's an expectation or a desire that you've put out there. And instead of it just being met or maybe even being forgotten or ignored, it is met in exceedingly amazing ways. You could even say in an immeasurably more kind of way. When that happens, what is our response? We're we're blown away, aren't we? We're like, wow, we we didn't realise that someone would want to go above and beyond, do exceedingly, immeasurably more for us. It it does something for us. It gives us that sense of value and, and belonging. It reinforces that relationship. It causes gratitude to flow. And we've got some Amazing, immeasurably more kind of people in this church, don't we? And two of them are our our good friends, Duncan and Rach Camilleri. Now, in line with the story from last week where I was talking about the renovations that we did, where we turned a window into a door. Hey, you were listening. Well done. Actually, Pastor Jace pretty much turned that window into a door. It wasn't me. Uh, In line with all the renos, the next step for us was then to plant seven lily pillies. And again, someone else in our church, Cam Walker, helped me plant those lily pillies. So, man, it's good to have friends that know how to do stuff when you don't really know how to do stuff. And so we planted these seven lily pillies and, and, the hope, and, and the hope is that these lily pillies would grow and that we'd be able to hedge them off and they would, they would provide some security and they'd provide some shade and, and they'd just be beautiful and green. Anyway, we, we, we set about watering them every day. Harrison, our 14-year-old, he had that task and he's done a pretty good job so far. But last summer... We had a couple of days in a row of 40 degrees and two of those lily pillies turned to ash, (laughs) literally burnt up in the the scorching hot summer Perth sun and they were dead. They were beyond, there's no coming back, there's no redemption for those lily pillies and Duncan and Rach, our friends, they knew that we had a desire to one day replace those Lily pillies. And so last, well, Kaz and I were at Renew Prayer one night on a Sunday night. And whilst we were there, somebody snuck over to our house, dug out the old lily pillies, planted brand new lily pillies, and gave us some weed killer. And there was a beautiful handwritten note from their kids, Tegan and Toby. And it blew us away in the scheme of things, as, as Pastor Jace has said. It's small. But for us, it, the, the thoughtfulness, the kindness, that someone would go above and beyond, someone would go immeasurably more for us, it impacted us greatly. Yeah. And so we are in week four of Reimagine. And I want to talk to you out of Ephesians 3, 20 to 21, our foundation scripture for this series about the OG of the immeasurably more. 
Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, that still blows me away, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is the OG of the immeasurably more. It is in his very nature. God is extravagant in the way who he is flows into his creation, flows into you and I. He is sovereign. He is over and above every other thing. And his immeasurably more, it leads us to our knees. It leads us to gratitude. It leads us to, whoa, someone would do that for us. Someone would pour out that kind of love for us. Someone would love us in spite of the fact that we haven't done anything for him to love us. He is the immeasurably more the OG. And on top of that, you and I, his creation, you and I are carriers We're vessels of the immeasurably more for the benefit of the rest of humanity. And that's where Rachel and Duncan, there was that glimpse of God in them as they took that step and blessed us. And you and I, we we truly engage, we participate in this immeasurably more. We access and exercise what is at work in us by the, the power of the Holy Spirit through asking And imagining through active faith in God, through this trust in Him. And so, church, it's time to reimagine. It's time to allow faith to rise again and be reestablished as the way you and I do life. As we step out into this one life that we have. One life that we have on this planet and through active trust in Him, we Bless and love our fellow man. And we're going to continue on from last week in reimagining through the narrative of Rahab. And Rahab is introduced in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament at a really pivotal moment for the people of Israel. They had come out of slavery. They had been freed from the yoke of slavery in Egypt and they were in the wilderness. There was the promised land that God had for them. And it wasn't 40 years worth of distance to get to that promised land, but somehow they wandered for 40 years. This was because of their uh, disobedience, their unfaithfulness. They, they stopped having active trust in God. And so a whole generation needed to die out. So a new generation who were unhindered from the past and who were full of active trust in God could step into that promised land. Moses, the old leader, had passed away. He hadn't been able to actually step onto the promised land. And Joshua was installed as the brand new leader. And so... What's standing in the way of them taking the promised land is this fortified Canaanite city of Jericho. And Rahab was an inhabitant, a resident of this city. And I want to get, again, I want to read a good portion of this story today. And so we can really get into what Rahab's story was all about and what God's 
actually doing. I had someone come to me after the service last week and they said, look, in all of the years that I've been in church, I've been a Christian for so long, I've never heard that much scripture read in a sermon. And I was like, thank you. I don't know. It was that a compliment? Were you having a go at me? I don't actually, knowing this person, I know it was a compliment, but we're going to read another good chunk of the word of God today. Joshua 2. You ready? Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two, two men of spies from the Acacia Grove, saying, Go and scout the land, especially Jericho. So they left and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelite men have come here tonight to investigate the land. Then the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, for they came to investigate the entire land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. So she said, yes, the men did come to me, but I don't know where they were from. At nightfall, when the city gate was about to close, the men went out and I don't know where they were going. Chase after them quickly and you can catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them among the stalks of flax that she'd arranged on the roof. The men pursued them along the road to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as they left to pursue them, the city gate was shut. Before the men fell asleep, she went up on the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and the terror of you has fallen on us, and everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard that the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven and above and on earth below. Now please, swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my father's family because I show kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters and all who belong to them and save us from death. The men answered her, we will give our lives for yours. If you don't report our mission, we will show kindness and faithfulness to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then she let them down by a rope through the window. Hey, she turned the window into a door. Since she lived in a house that was built into the wall of the city. Go to the hill country so that the men pursuing you won't find you, she said to them. Hide there for three days until they return. Afterward, go on your way. The men said to her, we will be free from this oath you made us swear unless when we enter the land, you tie this scarlet cord to the window through which you let us down. Bring your father, mother, brothers and all of your father's family into your house. If anyone goes out of the doors of your house, his death will be his own fault and we will be innocent. But if anyone with you in the house should be harmed, his death will be our fault. And if you report our mission, we are free from the oath you made us swear. Let it be as you say, she replied, and she sent them away. After they had gone, she tied the scarlet cord to the window. So the two men went into the hill country and stayed there three days until the pursuers had returned. They searched all along the way but did not find them. Then the men returned, came down from the hill country and crossed the Jordan. They went to Joshua, son of Nun, and reported everything that had happened to them. They told Joshua, the Lord has handed over the entire land to us. Everyone who lives in the land is also panicking because of us. We fast forward now. 
They have crossed the Jordan. They have walked around. The people of God have walked around Jericho for seven days. On the seventh time that they go around, uh, the walls come crumbling down and they're about to take this city. And so we pick it up in Joshua 6, 22. Joshua said to the two men who had scouted the land, go to the prostitute's house and bring the woman out of there and all who are with her just as you swore to her. So the young men who had scouted went in and brought out Rahab and her mother, brother, sorry, her father, mother, brothers and all who belonged to her. They brought out her whole family and settled them outside the camp of Israel. They burned the city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. However, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute, her father's family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the messengers Joshua had sent to spy on Jericho, and she still lives in Israel today. I said this last week, if you're challenged by this whole idea that God's people would completely destroy another people group, how does that resonate with a loving God? Uh, there's a, an author and theologian, Paul Copen, who has written a lot of resources around this. And so I encourage you to check some of his resources out. But from this story, I want to encourage us to reimagine, to reimagine the details of our call, to reimagine our identity, to reimagine the power of kindness and to reimagine God's sovereignty. I covered the first two last week, so if you weren't here, you can check out the podcast or go onto our YouTube channel. But today, let's reimagine the power of kindness. And this past year, a characteristic of God that I've experienced in a new way that has completely blown me away has been God's kindness. The Hebrew word for kindness is hesed. It's found some 250 times in the Old Testament and, and many times it's relating to God's heart towards his people. One example of this is Psalm 103, verses 8 to 10. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. Thank you, Jesus. Hesed means unfailing help to a needy covenant partner. It's a completely undeserved kindness and generosity. John Tyson from Church of the City in New York, he preached a whole message on kindness uh, during uh, 2020. And in that, he outlines a whole heap more scriptures related to hesed, related to kindness. You can check out his podcast if you want to delve deeper into the kindness of God. But Tyson, in his message, calls kindness a compassionate, others-directed generosity. Now, what has been so striking for me in my personal revelation and experience of God's kindness this year is his kindness is not demanding. His kindness is not dependent upon what I do or do not do. And his kindness is constantly flowing into my life. It encapsulates kindness. It encapsulates so many other characteristics of who our great God is. It speaks of his patience and his long-suffering. It speaks of his generosity, his joy in you and I. It speaks of his natural disposition, his default position towards you and I and all of creation that he is extravagant and he is immeasurably more in how he sees us and how he treats us. But if we contrast that 
with the way that the world would view God today, I'm not sure kindness would be high on the list. Maybe the opposite. God's default position is harshness. It's judgment. God's quick to anger. He's slow to forgive. You have to jump through so many hoops for God to love you. And maybe you and I, we're sitting here today and, and latently or subconsciously, we carry some of that with us. It's important for you and I to know through the scriptures that, yeah, God gets angry. Yes, God is the judge. But God's anger and his judgment is only ever in response to evil. It's only ever in response to sin. It's only ever in response to what rips apart relationship with and within creation. He's not like you and me, maybe just me, who someday we wake up on the wrong side of the bed and we're just angry and we're just grumpy at everybody. He's not like that. That's not his disposition. Anger and judgment is his last resort. It grieves him because his desire is to show grace and to show love and to show kindness to us. And since I've been awakened to this and, and received God's kindness, it's, it's truly changed me. It's changed how I see myself. It's changed how I see others. And it's totally impacted my actions. Experiencing God's kindness firsthand has exposed the obstacles in me to truly making kindness a default setting. He's exposed self-centeredness. He's exposed insecurity. He's exposed the need for control and comfort. But as I've begun to see them, acknowledge them and deal with them, I've been able to then respond to his kindness by showing kindness. Now, I'm still a work in progress. I'm still struggling for it to be a default. Been at the gym uh, this year and, and, and going to the gym on a Thursday morning with uh, my good friend MJ. And there was a guy who would come to the gym at the same time, looked like a nice dude, uh, but he never put his weights away when he moved to the next exercise. Now, there are signs all over the gym not saying, hey, when you finish, leave the weights on, but saying, hey, can you please take the weights off for the next person? So this person would leave the weights on and I got all judgy. I got mad. What is this guy? He needs to be taught a lesson. Why is this guy doing this? It's so rude. There's signs everywhere. The next, they're not thinking about the next. They're just thinking about themselves. And I felt like, I'm going to go speak to them. I'm going to be the gym police. <laughs> hey, buddy. I mean, we, we lift heavier weights than this guy. So it's like, no, no issue for us. But, you know, that wasn't in my notes. So I just kind of threw that out there. Um, I didn't go and speak to this guy. I wanted to so badly. My default was judgment. And then one day, the Holy Spirit said, you go and put the weights away. <laughs> My pride 
rose up like a roaring lion. I wanted to punch something. What? Are you, are you serious? How, what kind of lesson is that going to teach this guy? Classic parent, right? Always looking, what kind of lesson can we teach someone? Go put the weights away. It's not about you. So I would wait till he'd left a particular exercise and I'd go and take his weight. He never saw. And do you know what that did? It broke down any judgment I had towards him and it actually opened up this desire. I actually had a desire to be kind. So I began every time I'd see him to go and say hi. I got to know him a little bit. Got to know he's got a young family and, he, and where he works and where he lives and what he loves to do. To the point where this Thursday just gone, we had a chat and I, didn't, I said, I'm not going to force it, God, but if, if, it's, if the opportunity arises. And I invited him along to Lights in the Heights. And so we became friends on Facebook and I passed him on the Lights in the Heights details and hopefully him and his family are going to get tickets and come along to Lights in the Heights this year. God changed my heart and kindness began to flow. Now, when it comes to Rahab, I still find it completely stunning, completely amazing that this Canaanite prostitute would show kindness to the enemy. The spies are her enemy. They're not her friends. But yet she shows kindness before they even give her any hope of rescue. There's no promise that they're going to save her before she shows kindness. Hmm. All we can imagine, all we can believe is that somehow she's experienced, because we know this confession of faith that she has. She's heard, she knows, she's experienced the very love and kindness of God. And that has fueled her kindness. She reimagined the power of kindness. And kindness begets kindness. There was a flow-on effect. Rahab's kindness, which was a response to experience the kindness of God, led to the spies saying, not just, oh yeah, we'll be kind to you, maybe. We will lay our lives down for you and your whole family. That's huge. They didn't need to say that. They didn't need to make the oath. And they certainly didn't need to follow through. There was actually no advantage to them to follow through on the oath that they'd made. They'd already gotten all the information they needed. They'd already got safe passage out. They did not need to follow through on this promise. We're talking about a prostitute here. We're talking about Rahab. In the scheme of promised land endeavours for an entire nation, Rahab's a blip. No one would have batted an eyelid if they hadn't followed through. But they did. They reimagined the power of kindness and thankfully they did. Because Rahab goes on to play this incredible, meaningful part in the whole thread of redemption. She's in the genealogy of Jesus and she also becomes this incredible example of faith for you and I to follow today. And so crucial to your and my faith, our active trust in God, is kindness. It's important that we see and treat others 
How we see and treat others is just as important, if not more, than the theology we hold. If your and my theology is not producing kindness, it's not from God. Sorry. It's just not from God. So it's, it's, it's amazing that we might have this incredible revelation and feel like we know more about God than anyone else in the planet, but if it's not producing fruit of love and kindness, it's literally garbage. So how do we reimagine the power of kindness? Maybe we're finding on social media, in the way that we're speaking to our loved ones, in the way that we're responding to interruptions or to spontaneous opportunities for kindness, we might be finding that our, our default to these is like a bit harsh, it's a bit short, it's a, it's a bit judgy. Can I encourage us to reimagine the kindness of, of God? Can, can, can we make his kindness a focus of our devotion? That as we come before God this week, we can repent, we can say, God, I'm so sorry that kindness has, hasn't been my default. And I believe that kindness is your default. Could you, could you help me? Could you show me your kindness afresh? May I have a revelation of, of, of your kindness towards me in spite of my sin? And would you help me? Would you help develop this fruit of kindness, this fruit of the spirit of kindness in me? May it flow out of me. Maybe we could do a Bible study on Hesed in the Old Testament. Or maybe we could sit and, and in our time with God, we could do an actual stock take. What are we letting in? What are we giving a voice to in our lives, whether it be social media or TV or people? And let's make a decision that we're going to pull away from the, the voices that are, uh, are fueling harshness and fueling judgment and we're going to lean in towards the voices that are speaking kindness. Let's reimagine the power of kindness. And lastly, let's reimagine God's sovereignty. Band, you can come. Now, I've got a really important instruction for you right now. We're leading towards communion. I, I, I want you to grab your communion cup, but, but please don't do the double rip. Just hold it in your hands. We will hear. We will hear if you rip. Someone's going to do it just to be a rebel. And that's okay, but then you're going to have to hold it and make sure it doesn't spill for the next 35 minutes. <laughs> Thanks, mate. You're a good man, Ryan. John Piper defines God being sovereign as he is the ultimate source of all power, authority, and everything exists. And as we grasp this reality, our appropriate response to God's sovereignty is to submit to Him, is to worship Him, and is to receive comfort from Him. God is sovereign. God rules. A Bible dictionary says of God's sovereignty that He has an absolute right to do all things according to His own good pleasure. And I am so grateful that I can say, people, His good pleasure is His creation. It's you and I. And He rules not with harshness, not with judgment, not in violence, but in love, 
and in kindness. And Rahab's story is a classic example of God ruling according to His character of love and grace and kindness. He was over and above the plans of the spies. He was over and above the circumstances of Rahab. He was weaving something beautiful, something truly profound in this story. This reimagining of God's sovereignty is perfectly summed up in the scarlet thread. Spies asked Rahab to tie a scarlet cord, a scarlet thread onto the window that she had let them out of. And this was to signify that whoever was in that house was to be saved. Now, what is the significance of the scarlet cord? The scarlet cord is red. It symbolises blood. And there's a tension here because blood can symbolise life. As, as, as blood flows and it remains within. And, and God is obviously the creator and sustainer of life, but blood can also symbolize death. As cutting takes place and blood is poured out, as the flow is stopped, death comes. And whilst God is the giver of life, sin's consequence is death. Paul says that sin reigns in death. Sin is baying for blood. And this scarlet cord, it stretches back to the beginning where God in His sovereignty, He he flips the script and uses sin's consequence. He uses death and the pouring out of blood to actually bring about salvation and life and restoration of relationship. So the scarlet cord came to symbolise grace, mercy, redemption as God would pass over those who were guilty. We see this in Genesis 3, when when Adam and Eve sinned, their nakedness and their shame was exposed. And instead of God disowning them, yeah, they they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, but let's not... That's not the same as God disowning them. God still had relationship with them. He provided animal skins to cover them. Blood was shed for the first time to cover sin. We see it at the original Passover, which occurred in Egypt, whereby whoever's house doorframe was covered with innocent blood was spared from the judgment of God and the consequence of sin. As Israel needed the the scarlet blood of the lamb on their doorframes to distinguish them from the condemned Egyptians, so Rahab needed this scarlet cord that the Israelites provided to distinguish her and her family from the doomed Canaanites. We see it again in the sacrificial system of the law where various animal offerings were presented to by the Israelites to God in return for his, his forgiveness and His love. The scarlet cord of God's sovereignty reaches back. The scarlet cord of God's sovereignty also reaches forward. If we think about the time of Rahab, forward to the ultimate Passover, the sacrificial death of Jesus, Son of God, God in flesh, Jesus, innocent of any sin, 
without blemish. He became the once for all Passover lamb. His blood was poured out to cover the sin of humanity. He stood in the gap. He stood in the place of the guilty for us because of His profound love and kindness. And what this did was it ushered in a brand new covenant relationship between God and His creation. And it began a great ushering in of the kingdom of of heaven, of this kingdom renewal that that the Holy Spirit-filled church is at the very centre of. And then on its way through to eternity, the scarlet cord reaches you and I today. And so what we hold in our hands, it's a continuation of a sovereign God's extravagant, immeasurably more, grace-fueled, love-fueled ability to turn what originally symbolised death, what originally symbolised the old and the end. He turned it around so it now symbolises the new, the beginning, the alive. A new covenant, a new beginning, a new resurrection life. And what we're also holding in our hands, it symbolises that it's out of our control. We haven't had anything to do with this. This is outside of our understanding. This is immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. The, The scarlet thread, it shows us that He is in control that He is trustworthy, that He is worthy of all the honour and the worship that our lives can give Him. You can peel the lids now. Before we eat and drink, let me pray. God, our hearts are so filled with gratitude to it today. We're so thankful, Lord, that you're sovereign. Would you help us to reimagine your sovereignty today? Wherever we're at, whatever we're carrying, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, Help us to trust that you are in control. Help us to receive your forgiveness afresh today. Help us to be filled with your love. Help us to be aware of this great scarlet thread that we are a part of. Come fill us with your love and kindness today as we eat and drink in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for joining us here on our podcast. We encourage you to let this word further help you live and share the life to the full that Jesus gives. If you want to check out more about our upcoming events, service times, locations, or to give online, go to c3hh.com.au.